Hello, and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 73 movies, one cage. This is episode 24, It Could Happen to You, released in 1994. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and I love this movie, because I think I love Rom-Com Cage. Yeah, Rom-Com Cage is unexpectedly great. Um, You know, this movie is uh, pretty different than the past few (laughs) movies. It it actually knows what kind of movie it wants to be. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, right off the top, we could say quite quite enjoyable. It's exactly what we needed at this point in Cage Club, because we've had such depressing, dark, heavy movies. And even when the comedy was supposed to be a comedy in Guarding Tess, it wasn't very funny. So we, it's sort of been a while since we've had a genuine comedy. I don't think this is necessarily the best movie of all time, but it's very charming, and Cage is great in it. Bridget Fonda is great in it. It makes me really sad that she stopped acting. I just genuinely like this movie a lot. Yeah, I think it's uh, kind of telling that uh, this movie is directed by the same director as Honeymoon in Vegas. Yes, which also Andrew turned out- Bergman. Which also turned out to be a nice, enjoyable, comedic film. But uh, yeah, you know, we had Red Rock West, we had Deadfall, we had Guarding Tess, and now we have this nice, lighthearted story here. Based on a true story, I think it's our first Cage movie based on a true story. The movie is based on the true story of Phyllis Penzo and Officer Robert Cunningham. For 24 years, she was a waitress at a pizzeria in Yonkers. He was a 30-year veteran of the police force in Dobbs Ferry, New York, and a regular customer at the restaurant. One day in March 1984, he asked her for help picking his weekly lottery number. She suggested three numbers, and he came up with three more on his own. He jokingly promised that if he won, he'd split the winnings with her as a tip. The next day, to his surprise, Cunningham and his wife came into the diner with a winning lottery ticket in hand. They'd won $6 million, which he split with Penzo, giving her $3 million. In real life, however, and also mentioned in the credits in the movie, they're both happily married to other people for many years. And so this movie takes that premise, married man offers a waitress half of his winnings if he wins. He does win and gives her the money and they sort of fall in love, not really because of the money, but just because they're genuinely good people married to genuinely atrocious people. It's um, pretty interesting, I think, how this is based on, you know, like a newspaper article or like a real life story and not a adaptation of a novel or a play. Because it's, I think, the first instance I came across of adapting real life to film. It's based on a true story, but it's not a book or anything like that. But yeah, the only thing they keep from the actual aspect is that this cop splits his winnings with the waitress. Um, I think everything else that is fictionalized for entertainment's sake. And I think it works better this way. It just so happens they go into this restaurant. Like, it's not normally the place that they go to. He sees her having a terrible day. She's really flustered. It's sort of a meet-cute, and she's kind of the worst version of herself at this moment in the movie. Yeah, and, and Cage plays the cop, right? And and he is, like, the world's nicest cop. Uh, he's, like, just all around the greatest guy Ever, right? He's like Mr. Rogers in their community, you know? Uh, he's helping old ladies cross the street. Right in the first five minutes, we see that. We see him stopping a shoplifter or someone who lifted their purse. Uh, yep. We show how great he is with the neighborhood kids. Like, this guy is just, like, world class. And we hear in a voiceover in the first two minutes of the movie, voiceover by Isaac Hayes, maybe best known for composing the Shaft theme. He has a voiceover that explains Cage as basically not only the best cop, but sort of the best guy in the world, and a man who any woman would be lucky to have. Once upon a time in New York, there was a cop named Charlie. He was a very decent guy, as was his partner, Bo. 
He was a good listener. He loved kids. He had patience and common sense. He was resourceful. He was just a good cop. Charlie lived happily in Queens, where he was born and had lived all of his life. Charlie was married to Muriel. She hated Queens. And then there was Yvonne, a waitress, who's about to get some terrible news. Charlie, Muriel, and Yvonne all lived in a city where people prayed for miracles every day. Like winning the $64 million lottery. My name is Angel. The story you're about to see, well, it's pretty much all true. Yeah, Isaac Hayes popped up here right in the beginning, and that was confusing. Um, I know him, you know, like you said, from, from his music and stuff, and then he became quite popular as Chef from South Park. But yeah, he just like kind of pops up here as this sort of narrator, Angel Dupree. Yep. You know, he seems just, you know, I don't want to, I'm just saying, you know, there are in, in stories, you know, the sort of mythical man who sort of appears and is just like the guardian angel. And I'm definitely like, okay, they're setting this guy up to be some sort of thing like that. You know, he's, he's not real. He doesn't exist. He, he's breaking the fourth wall and, you know, right. he's just here for the audience. We're the only ones that can see him. But he's not, he's not some omniscient narrator. He's actually just a guy that when they actually cut to him giving the voiceover, I was like, whoa, wait, what? He's actually like a person who exists in this world? It ultimately doesn't make too much of a difference in terms of the voiceover, but it's just like a weird kind of little touch that caught me off guard. Yeah, they tie it all together at the end of the story originating from a newspaper article, and that sort of ties into <laughs> the mystery of Isaac Hayes, but we'll get to there at the end. Right now, we got to get to Rosie Perez, the one woman in the world who doesn't feel lucky to be married to Nick Cage. She's a hairdresser. Like, the first thing we see of her in the movie... It's her talking to one of her clients about how she wishes she had more money, how all these things that she would like to buy. This woman's basically saying to her, hey, get a divorce, marry an electrician, that's where the money is. Rosie Perez is talking about how she resents Cage for being an honest cop. Like, she says she wishes that he was on the take, so they would have a little bit of extra money, that if he's going to have this dangerous job, he might as well get some money under the table so that she can be rewarded in case he were to die. Yeah, they are incredibly mismatched. I'm just wondering how they ever stayed together, because she's incredibly materialistic and sort of, like, dreams of this bigger life as a celebrity, you know? And, you know, a lot of... I could kind of relate to that. A lot of people can relate to that, you know? Everyone thinks they're destined for greatness on some level. But Cage is absolutely comfortable being kind of a nobody, you know? Like, he's very comfortable in his life and his ways, and he appreciates being, you know, keeping your word and being an honest guy. But when Rosie Perez is like, you're not even on the take, I was like, dude, I was like, how did you, you know, the only reason you're married to her is because you're so honest you won't divorce somebody because it's like morally unethical to him. The opening narration makes this movie seem sort of like a fairy tale. And I talk about how how it sort of is a fairy tale on cageclub.me. In sort of like classic fairy tale kind of structure, I guess, you just see like right away, like she's sort of like almost like the Wicked Witch, if we want to bring it back to Wild at Heart. Or she's just kind of like the evil like stepmother. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like she's just evil incarnate or just like pettiness incarnate. Literally the next scene in the movie, after we see how awful she is, we meet Bridget Fonda. And Bridget Fonda is the sweetest person in the world. She plays a woman named Yvonne, just the nicest person in the worst circumstance. Her deadbeat husband, who she's in the process of divorcing, racked up astronomical credit card debt, 
and forced her to claim bankruptcy. And so she's just in this really terrible situation, and she's just a waitress not making a lot of money. It's so immediately apparent, the comparison of just basically good against evil. And it's it's sort of frustrating that it takes so long for Cage to get with Bridget Fonda, because she's exactly the kind of woman he deserves. But instead, he's stuck with Rosie Perez, and like you were saying, he's not going to leave her just because he's too nice of a guy. Yeah, if Rosie Perez is the evil stepsister, then Bridget Fonda is set up to be Cinderella. When she starts out, she's destitute. She's you know basically in tatters and rags and things like that. And Nick Cage is like the prince, right? He's like Prince Valiant, but yeah. he's married to this evil princess right now. So it's yeah. sort of, you know, but it's wonderful when their paths finally cross because... They complement each other like perfectly, and they almost even sort of have like this look like each other in a weird kind of way, with like their fair hair and eyes yeah. and stuff. We talk about characters representing opposite sides of each other, and I think that's definitely true here. They're sort of meant to be together from the start. Yeah, and so they finally do cross paths at her restaurant when Cage and his cop partner Bo, played by Wendell Pierce, who will return in The Runner which is the, the newest Cage Club movie, so he'll be back in a, in a long time, 20 years later. They stop in because they want to get a cup of coffee, and they walk in, and this is after Bridget Fonda just came from the courtroom declaring bankruptcy, having the worst day, what she says is the worst day of her entire life. They just order coffee, they order food. Cage is kind of joking. He's like, how would you say the lobster is here? And she's like, oh, like that's real funny, like after the day I've had. And then they have to leave, and that's when he goes to her and says, I'll just take the check. And he doesn't have enough money to pay for the coffee and leave her a tip. Yvonne, I'm Charlie Lang, and we're partners. If this ticket wins, I'll come back tomorrow and split the proceeds. And if it doesn't, I'll still come back and leave you a tip. What do you think? I think I'm never going to see you again. You'll see me tomorrow. Well, oh, I'll be here. You got a deal. Yeah, it is, that was a pretty interesting sort of back and forth between them. Uh, like, he sort of tries to flirt with her, but she's definitely not picking up on his vibes at all. And, and the partner's watching it all go down with, like, this like big smile on his face, you know? And that night, Cage goes home, and he's soaking his feet next to Rosie Perez, and she's talking about whether or not she should get a boob job. <laughs> And he's like, we don't have any money. Like, what? Where are you, why? Like, first of all, why? And second of all, like, how are we going to afford it? And then she, like, just freaks out about how gross it is that he's soaking his feet. You know, this cop, literally defending her city, can't even soak his feet because his wife thinks it's disgusting. And then she finds out that the lottery ticket that he bought for the $64 million lottery pool that night is the wrong number. It was going to be, we find out way, way later... The numbers are her birthday and their anniversary. Like, so self-centered, Rosie Perez. And he gets their anniversary wrong is only because he gets it wrong that they actually win the money. Yeah, she's just, like, the worst. I'm sorry. I mean, I know they're trying to set her up to sort of be the whole villain of the movie and everything. But, uh, yeah, like, Nick Cage can't even relax in his own home or anything. And you're right. He's a cop, you know? He's out there risking his life. Granted, he doesn't have the most dangerous beat in the city. But, you know, he deserves respect. And it's not like he's coming home, like, treating her wrong. You know, it's it's kind of like a role reversal, you know? Like, he is the, quote-unquote, battered wife of the situation. You know, <laughs> Rosie Perez wears the pants, so for sure. Again are 6, 12, 16, 26, yeah. 64, yeah. 84. When we return sports with Larry Lipton. <laughs> That's unbelievable. <laughs> Jackpot! 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 Jackp
they win the $64 million, and it's split a bunch of ways down to $4 million. That's not even enough for Rosie Perez. Like, she's so upset. She wants the $64 million. She doesn't think the $4 million is enough. And that's when Cage sort of drops a bombshell on her. He's like, I've got something to tell you. A complete stranger, Tully! I owed her a tip. <gasps> a tip? I never thought we'd win, darling. I never thought we'd win. But we did win, just like I told you we were going to. But if we'd used your numbers, we wouldn't have won. Don't do that. Don't do that, Charlie, because you know and I know that in my dream, my dead father came to me through the slot machine, and in his eyes, there were dollar signs and a four in place of the bugle. Come on, Charlie, you want to blemish his sacred memory? That's ridiculous. He was a nut job, your father. He prayed to chickens. So this moment was kind of funny because, I mean, before he tells her that they need to split the money, Rosie Perez thinks, like, they're going to be so rich. Like, the sky's the limit. To her, like, $4 million is the answer to all their problems. This is sort of the Willy Wonka golden ticket of her life, that this is the way that she can get to true happiness in as little time as possible. And I really love the way Nicolas Cage sort of diffuses the situation when he tells her they need to split the money with the waitress, where he's like, just imagine, honey, the entire city is going to think you're an amazing person because you gave half of your lottery winnings away to someone you don't even know. You know, the city's going (laughs) to love you. They're going to make you a celebrity. And she loves that. Like, that's really all she wants. Like, the money is one thing, but she just, celebrity is what her goal is. And this is, like, before all the Kardashians showed up on the scene. So it's funny how it's like there's nobody that wants to be famous for nothing. (laughs) It's ahead of its time. So after Rosie Perez finally agrees that, like, okay, I still want the money, but we can give her half the money because it's going to give us untold fame and fortune and whatever else through the kindness of her heart. She says a little bit later in the movie that people have always said that she's had a heart of gold. Cage then, the next day, is on this beat with Bo, with his partner, and they're talking about what they would do, and Bo's like, hey man, I'd buy the mix, which <laughs> which for $4 million is like, alright, that's okay. <laughs> He's like, well, at least I buy like courtside seats, like season tickets. This is so cute. Like Bridget Fonda keeps losing her glasses the first time they meet. And so he buys her, like, the chain, the connecting chain to keep her glasses around her neck. And he puts, like, $2, you know, the the double the tip in an envelope. And he walks into her diner. And she's like, oh, you came back. He's like, yeah, I gave you my word. Yeah, this this part is so adorable. Like, the next day when he knows, like, he's going to tell her that they won and she's totally unsuspecting. Let me just say real quick that his partner, Bo, is played by the same guy who plays Bunk on The Wire. And so the whole movie, I'm like, this guy transfers to Baltimore when (laughs) this is over. (laughs) Okay, so back to this movie. This little gift that he gives her, the chain for her glasses, it has nothing to do with the tip, you know? Like, this is just like a whole other, like, a surprise superfluous side gift that he came up with i think because he likes her you know like she's kind she's generous she's understanding and then he you're right then he gives her sort of the let's they play let's make a deal he gives her the choice he does his monty hall impression about our little agreement huh double the tip or half of what i won in the lottery that agreement How about we make it your choice? Door number one, double the tip. Door number two, half of what I won in the lottery. My choice. Okay. Whatever. I'll take door number two. I'll take half of the lottery. Pay up. You're sure? Positive. I was hoping you'd say that. I'll bet you were. Better luck next time, right? 
Well, actually, we were, uh, <laughs> we were pretty lucky. Oh, really? Did you win something? We won something. All right. What? We won something? What did we win? Four million dollars. She's like, why would you do this to me? Like, this is such a mean joke. Why would you do this to me? Yeah, that was that was an unsuspecting moment. This all felt really genuine to me, though. The way she freaks out and runs around the diner and questions whether it's it's real or not. She can't believe that anyone would be so honest or you know keep their promise. And and Cage says what he says several times now. He says, "I'm a man of my word." You know, yeah. who are you if you can't keep your word? And they have this adorable moment where she like she's like, "Who wants ice cream on their pie? Who wants?" Why? And she's just going around celebrating the only way that a waitress can, just giving people free food, and her jerk of an owner is, like, deducting everything from her paycheck. She no longer cares how terrible of a boss she has. This is, like, the best day of her life, literally the day after the worst day of her life. Everything changes. What I like about this, and I think in terms of, you know, Blake Snyder saved the cat, like, this is really the break into two. You know, it's, like, 25 minutes in the movie, but I love how, like, quickly it happened. Like, it seems like the movie where he gives the waitress a $2 million tip, that seemed like it could be later in the movie, but I like that it happens so fast that like we get out of the way and we can see what that means. Yeah, it doesn't even sort of factor into the rest of the film. It's almost like this MacGuffin to get Nicolas Cage and Bridget Fonda to interact, right? To meet and to cross paths and to keep crossing paths because they meet again when they go to claim their ticket and she shows up and the media catches... That's when the media sort of first catches yeah. wind of everything and they become a big story and get their picture in the newspaper and, and then we're sort of into this like montage of shopping and you see Muriel buying dresses and every every time she's buying something for herself Nick Cage is like putting money in a homeless man's cup you can see the way that they're spending the lotto too there's great efficiency in this script it's great like everything just like it, it moves it along we're not very far into this movie and you know very clearly I mean and we sort of known from the first 10 minutes who these characters are what they would do if they won the lottery. Like, you always think, what would I do if I won the lottery? But here, these characters, I mean, I guess you could sort of say, like, as a criticism, like, they're, they're two one note. Like, they're either, like, very good or very evil. But, like, you very clearly know from the first time you meet them what all these people would do with the money. Yeah, there's a great shorthand going on, you know, with the writing and with the acting, and, you know, I think the roles are really well cast. You know, Bridget Fonda is just, like, adorable in this movie, you know? You really want her to pay back that 12 grand and to get out of the hole, (laughs) you know? Nick Cage is just great. Like, I was stunned, to be honest, because I haven't seen this movie since theaters. I remember seeing it in theaters. And after all the Cage Club we've been through, it's kind of remarkable that, he doesn't even skip a beat slipping right into that rom-com role. You know, I, I thought of like Matthew McConaughey, how he sort of got labeled as this romantic comedy guy. I feel like Cage could have gotten stuck in this type of role if he didn't branch out, you know, sooner than later. As we get this montage of Rosie Perez spending all their money, and she must spend like tens of thousands of dollars in an afternoon. She gets soaked with blood by people protesting fur clothing. The next thing that happens, and I know this is something that you love, the tooch is loose. Unbelievable. <laughs> like, Bridget Fonda's ex-husband comes back into town because she, you know, he saw she won the lottery. And it's Stanley Tucci. Yeah. And it's like young Stanley Tucci with like most of his hair and just like playing a big jerk and like acting all cool and stuff. And yeah, man, the Tucci is definitely loose in this. I mean, you know, he's only in about two scenes, but... He owns those scenes, man. He's very... It makes me wonder, and maybe it's just him playing it up because he wants to get the most of his scenes, because he does steal the movie when he's on screen, but he's play, he plays his character very effeminately, and I wonder if he is gay. I mean, not that it matters in terms of the plot, 
but it also just one more reason why she shouldn't be married to this guy. Like he's talking about the theater. He's like very flamboyant. Like <laughs> later in the movie, in the second scene, he like hoists himself. Like do you know that scene where he's like in the kitchen, he, like hoists himself and just kicks his legs in the air. You mean the scene when he's only wearing a towel and he's like yeah. rippling, ripped with <laughs> muscles, like flexing the whole time. Yeah, yeah. I remember that scene. <laughs> like everything he does is so over the top to be like, all right, this is how I'm going to commit to this character. And I think that he's this guy who ruined Bridget Fonda's life. He gives her a call. He's just like, hey, I'm just seeing how you're doing. She's like, I'm not giving you any of the money. He says, what money? I don't know. And then they hang up, and he's holding the newspaper that has her picture winning the money with Cage. And he's only calling her because he knows that she's she's coming to money. Everything about them together is wrong. And then I think it just, I think because it's PG, we never really, this movie is rated PG. It might be the first time Cage is on a PG movie. I think because it's only PG, they don't go too explicitly into into who he is, right? But I think it's just sort of another reason why, like, these two are not meant to be together. Yeah, I definitely buy that. They're both actors. She said, you know, no one's ever, she even says no one's like ever loved me, really loved me before, you know, yet she got married to this guy. I could totally just see that, like, her falling for him and him leading her along and, you know, getting married to keep up appearances. And you may have a point with his character there. Well, we might discuss it a little more next time he pops up because, whoa, (laughs) that scene is just crazy. After Tooch's on the loose and he's calling Bridget Fonda and trying to figure out how to get some of that sweet sweet cash we find out that nobody's really truly handling the money and the fame well rosie perez is going she's power hungry she's spending all this money she just wants the adoration of the city it it almost seems like cage wishes he didn't win because he's now got people calling his house at three o'clock in the morning saying hey if you don't give me a thousand dollars i'm gonna kill my dog or kill my dad or whatever right this great great guy came into this windfall of money and his life became needlessly complicated and just filled with evil and hatred and just contempt. Yeah, he sort of talks about how money changes people and he doesn't want that to happen to him and you know, it just it's it can do more worse than good for certain people. And and the main thing I got out of it is, you know, he doesn't even quit his job, right? Like he's a cop who won the lottery. I mean, maybe he could go do something a little less dangerous, right? Now that he has some money. But no, like he's just he just like doesn't think like anything should change whatsoever and you know that's good and bad right like things have to change you have to change a little bit you can't expect life to stay normal (laughs) you know it's anything but normal now but yeah you know he's still out there like walking the beat sort of like unsure what his next step is and it's like so very little has changed like just exactly what you just said that he's back on his beat and he just so happens to come across and sort of defend a robbery this man who in 1994 could retire and just live on this not necessarily a life of of luxury but like live comfortably for the rest of his days he goes to pick up coffee he senses that something's fishy and he goes outside and tells Bo, our favorite koreans getting robbed right now and he like sneaks in the back breaks up this robbery and gets shot in the process he's putting himself in danger when he really doesn't even have to be working at all yeah and he's even going sort of beyond the call of duty here because he doesn't wait for backup right he's almost i mean it seems like he's trying to risk something here you know like there was some 
something about winning the lottery. Maybe he doesn't feel like he's worth it or whatever, but he clearly puts himself in harm's way to sort of maybe I was thinking he wants to feel like he earned that money somehow aside from just getting it for free. So he takes on like this uh, store heist. He gets shot and sort of becomes a hero cop and doesn't even discharge his gun. Never shoots his gun. Just throws a can of food at some guy and tackles another one through the window. He's sort of needlessly risking his life here in this scene. He's like sort of rebelling against his newfound fame, right? And all this does is just makes him more famous. Yeah. The newspapers basically say lottery winner, hero, cop, stops shootout, or, like, stops robbery. All he wants to do is sort of diffuse the fame, and instead he's just attracting more attention upon himself. My favorite thing that this scene gives us is that this movie is rated PG for a scene of cop action, which I think is is this scene. Like, it's just such a... Like, I've never seen that on a rating system before. That is simply adorable. I mean, <laughs> you know, a scene that, you know... <laughs> <laughs> I guess because of the blood and the violence, yeah, their little kids go to... T- yeah, I don't know. I mean, the movie is just so milk toast itself, right? Like, I don't know. It's just like the most unoffensive, made-for-everyone type of film. <laughs> you really have to stretch to find something to complain about. That is one obscure ratings reference there. I love it, though. And so when he becomes more famous, they sort of have a press conference to give him, you know, like a New York City badge of courage or something like that. And he says he now knows or he he, he's always known, and this like reaffirms how dangerous it is to be a cop in New York City, which is why he's going to donate $10,000 to the Policeman's Widows Fund. They cut to Rosie Perez, who is aghast at his display of generosity. And this, I think, is sort of what puts her over the edge, that in the next scene, after he donates $10,000 to charity, she decides to spend like all of their money, or at least you know a significant, way more than $10,000, to completely overhaul their apartment. Looks like Beirut. Isn't it great? Oh, honey. The building's going co-op next year? Then we'll have a six-room apartment that we can sell. Mr. Patel told me. Who? Oh, Mr. Patel. Hi. I'm your accountant. Hello, pleased to meet you. By the way, all the very best on your new fortune. Thank you. He says that we can make 100000 pure profit on this apartment. Minimum. And then we'll beat the state and city taxes if we move to Jersey within the year. No, I, but I, I don't want to live in Jersey. I want to stay here. And do what? Play stickball? Ooh, is the architect... Excuse me? Sure. Where's my chair? I gave it to Goodwill. But you know I love that chair. You could have asked me. Why should I? You're the one that loves to give everything away. Women, who can live with them and without them? What? Rosie's using her money to overhaul their apartment. Yvonne, Bridget Fonda, on the other hand, bought out the diner. And the one thing I don't like about this movie is that that jerk of a boss of hers probably got a sweet payout for her buying the diner. Yeah, it would have been a cool scene to have her fire him. Or something yeah. like that, right? Like, buy the diner and then fire that guy or something. But, you know, I just want to say one thing in defense of Rosie Perez's character. I never thought I would be defending her, but <laughs> she kind of has, like, a small point. Charlie never discusses giving ten grand to the policeman's widow fund. I mean, you know, who, you know, obviously that discussion would be like, I want to donate ten grand to the policeman. Oh, okay, fine, go ahead. But I'm just saying, like, you know, he is sort of not 
consulting with his wife about how he's spending his money. So she does sort of have a point that like, you know, you didn't mention this. I don't have to mention that. And it sort of sparks like this spending war between them. And Cage buys Nick's season tickets for Bo. He's like, they're not floor seats. And Bo loves it in such a great little moment. And then they head to the Ahoy Millionaires Royal Princess Cruise. And Rosie Perez is getting basically investment and money spending tips from this like creepy old millionaire named Jack Gross, great name, who's played by Seymour Cassell, who was in Honeymoon in Vegas and will pop up again in Sunny, Cage's only directorial effort. So Seymour Cassell, sort of a three-time Cage in action. We got to come up with some kind of system if you're <laughs> in it more than three or four, you know, like a four or five timers. Oh, we club. can have like yeah, the, like the five timers club, like we yeah. talked for SNL. <laughs> I love this boat part. To me, it's just like it's so bizarre that there's like this millionaires cruise, and it's not even for just for lotto winners or like recent lotto winners it seems like the guy you mentioned the old guy there comes on the scene and he's like yeah i won the lotto a while ago and i i invest in this i invest in that rosie perez is sort of just like really taken with this guy and i'm thinking in my head all right like she's already thinking several steps ahead how can she get with him and and dump the cop you know that whole thing like she's just very involved in learning trade secrets and how to just get more rich she's so enamored with jack gross that she doesn't even realize that cage like steps away he sort of goes up for some air and he sees bridget fonda arrive and she's sort of haggling with the taxi driver he can't break a 20 (laughs) <laughs> and it's like the first time she has money in her life and like it's still like causing her problems you know that's what i was thinking and like yeah like this cab driver won't break a 20 so he cuts off the boat and and pays for her cab they go to get on the boat and the boat leaves <laughs> and so they're both like dressed to the nine she's in this like gorgeous red dress he's in a really cool white suit that i'm sure elvis would be really proud of and this ahoy millionaire's cruise is gone, it leaves the dock, and they're going to, I guess, sail around Manhattan or whatever. And so, dressed to the nines, where are they going to go but to a really fancy, like, supper club where there's, like, a wedding reception going on. This is really adorable, right? Like, they get stuck together. I mean, he he avoided going into her diner when he noticed she bought it and sort of rehauled it and everything. he's like, ah, I really shouldn't I probably shouldn't go check her essay high or anything like that. And then he's sort of actively avoiding her and now he can't. Like he's like stuck with her and it's just so adorable because it's what he's it's it's like what he wants you know and he he's too honest to cheat on his wife but now he's given that situation he's allowed to sort of go on this impromptu date with the waitress and so they sort of have like a getting to know you dinner right where they're kind of just sharing their past and about how when they were married and why they were married and sort of why they're unhappy and i love like a little character quirk for stanley tucci is that he wanted to name their kid if they ever had a kid Al Pacino Biazzi. Oh, man, like, that was amazing. <laughs> such a great little name. Cage is basically, again, as the good guy in this movie, trying to downplay what he did for Bridget Fonda. She's like, no, like, what you did is not something that anybody would do. I made a promise and I kept it, period. Most people would have done the same. Nobody would have done the same. Are you kidding? What you did was like a fairy tale. And everyone gets to live happily ever after. From her perspective, it's magic, you know? It's sort of what, at the time, little girls were sort of raised to dream about, right? That, like, one day your prince will come along and sort of, you know 
turn your whole world upside down for the better and like it's actually happened to her but i love the way he sort of describes himself you know uh, talking about him and muriel he's like you know i'm cnn and she's the home shopping network right <laughs> like it just that was like perfect that's the perfect summation you know and i think that she gets a lot out of that out of hearing that you know just in the way that he sees himself as a person he doesn't exactly have the most self-esteem right even though he's this great guy that never really gives himself a break when the night is over the boat is going to get back soon he he puts bridget fonda into a cab and he's like i want to see you again i'm free all the time basically and she's like oh well then you know how about tomorrow and he's like oh yeah yeah okay like we could do tomorrow they're already stumbling into a relationship <laughs> they don't even know it i mean maybe they think that they can just be friends but you know i don't know how long that's gonna last they're they're too perfect for each other and their date the next day is too perfect because <laughs> cage is rollerblading and he's totally got he's all padded up he's got all the pads and he is out of control all these i just love it i mean again it's just so 90s rollerblades man they came on the scene with a vengeance and they're in everything and this is just i think another one of those examples of like hey this is like the hot new product we got to sneak into your film and there's a scene where like i feel like i've seen it in at least a handful of other movies they're rolling down a hill and he just winds up in the water at the bottom of the hill he's like i think we're done rollerblading and they have this date where they like alternate like what they're gonna do and so they go rollerblading and then his idea is to go to the subway and pay for people's rides they're essentially giving people a quarter right like it's not like it's like some <laughs> yeah. great show of wealth they're not giving away thousands of dollars they're giving away a quarter at a time and everyone reacts like this is the greatest thing in the world can you believe it the cop and the waitress they're letting us ride for free uh, yeah i love this scene in the subway because he's got like his sack of quarters and yeah you're right it's not like they're spending a lot of money it's sort of just like the power of the gesture though you know like the people aren't happy that like they're getting a free ride it's that this guy out of the kindness of his heart is sort of giving him a free ride right yeah. like it's another one of those moments where it's like oh my gosh like if you just thought like nick cage couldn't get any better like his character <laughs> couldn't be any nicer right they just constantly raising the bar with this guy and the next thing he does is that he takes this group of neighborhood kids that he was playing baseball with in the beginning of the movie i guess sort of not like rents out yankee stadium but like they go on the field and they just play softball on the field to yankee stadium bridget fonda is the worst pitcher and cage is in full catcher gear which is great and they're just having like a great time it's cage showing just how great of a guy he is he would rather spend the money on other people than think about like i don't think he ever buys himself anything in this movie at all no i think you're right he hasn't spent a dime on himself one of the moments i do remember from the first time i saw this is this part at yankee stadium because they do one of the coolest things there they take those photos of the little kids oh, yeah. catching the ball over the fence and there's like all these little polaroids and, and you find out they're jumping on a trampoline <laughs> so that yeah. they could get their arm high enough over the fence and and they've got the ball in their mitt already so it's like a completely doctored situation that was just like really funny and i wondered at the time if you could go to yankee stadium and actually do that <laughs> i would have loved that i mean i would have yeah. loved to be on the field in yankee stadium I would have loved to have a picture of myself at the outfield wall. I would have loved to have Bob Shepard, like the, the announcer for the Yankees, announces them like heading onto the field, like everything. Like they pulled out all the stops and it's great. But the movie comes crashing down immediately when Cage gets home and finds Rosie Perez dumping his clothes out the window, kicking him out of the apartment. 
for having this, what she thinks is like this illicit affair with Bridget Fonda. Yeah, she completely misreads like the entire situation. But again, you know, I'm not trying to defend her character, but, you know, from her point of view, it, it does look kind of bad for him, right? Like he's being photographed and shown in the newspapers with this woman who they're not even married you know he is basically mm-hmm. cheating on his wife even though they, they haven't compromised each other yet or anything <laughs> anything that heavy he's emotionally yeah he's her. emotionally che- exactly you know and rosie perez is like had it she i mean she's a firecracker to begin with so you don't want to tick her off as cage's life gets worse so does bridget fonda's like rosie perez kicks him out and he has to go stay with Bo. he's sleeping on like a little inflatable mattress in their living room with his daughter's Barney blanket on him, and at the same time, Bridget Fonda returns home to find that Stanley Tucci is, like you were saying earlier, shirtless and glistening in just a towel ready to like get back together with her because now she's got all this money i knew he was gonna sort of show up at her apartment right like it's sort of that point in the movie where he needs to reappear because why would you unleash the tooch in your film if you weren't going to bring him back (laughs) and uh, and yeah she gets home from yankee stadium the original yankee stadium by the way you know which is a nice which is great that you know this is something great movies can do if you you could see the original yankee stadium as it was Uh, but she gets back and in her apartment waiting for her sure enough it's it's her ex-husband but he just took a shower and he's hanging out in a nothing but a towel i am so like confused about this he and and, but mostly i'm confused because stanley tucci is like diesel like he's ripped like that's so confusing and and he's like flex acting you know what i'm talking (laughs) about like his flex acting like that total state like you're saying like almost like that drama effeminate type of like bombasticness that he does where he like prances around the room like peter pan and like flips into the chair and holds himself up it's so strange it's amazing and what i'm really thrilled to announce or to reveal i don't know if you remembered or you knew but tucci will be back in two movies in the kiss of death (gasps) tucci is coming back soon awesome can't wait you can capture him again but he'll always get (laughs) loose (laughs) rosie perez says i need a divorce as soon as we possibly can i have wings I want to fly. Cage is like, all right, like, I guess, you know, like, he's sort of been, even though he doesn't, like, admit it, he's sort of been done with this relationship since the movie started. And so this sort of gives him the freedom to go, in a way, pursue Bridget Fonda, even though he doesn't really. It just sort of happens that fate puts them together. Yeah, it's kind of cool how this is what he really wants, but he doesn't know it in a way. Like, he wanted, you could get the sense he doesn't really like his wife. Well, he tries to make it work. But if yeah. anyone's going to end the relationship, it won't be him. Like, he just morally he just can't take that step. So now, like, he's sort of free to a degree. And I really like how these scenes are cross-cut together. We get Cage fighting with Rosie Perez. At the same time, we see the argument with Stanley Tucci and Bridget Fonda. So they're both going through the same thing at the same time. And so Rosie Perez kicks him out. Stanley Tucci moves in. So they both leave their apartments to go find a place to stay for the night. He's going to go get a hotel room for the night. And he gets the Cage advice. It's not advice that he gives in this movie. I think the Cage advice in this movie is advice that he gets from his little group of 12 to 14 year old baseball friends. Where you going? Hotel. You mean you and her? We're history. Can't say I'm surprised. No? It's funny, I am. No matter what comes before, you just... You just don't expect this. What hotel, Charlie? What if I want to call you? 
I'll be at the Holiday Inn on 9th. Holiday Inn? Yeah. Charlie, you won the lottery. Yeah? One night at least. Stay at the plaza. Maybe I will. You're a real pal, you know that? I'll see you guys. And so we go to the Plaza Hotel, the single hotel that's in every New York movie, basically. When he walks in, who is there at the counter checking in but Bridget Fonda herself? It's great how she ends up there where uh, Stanley Tucci's like, come on, I only need like 20 grand. You're, you're rich, right? <laughs> and she's like, get out, get out. And he's like, no, like I have every right to be here. And she's like, then I'm leaving. And he's like, oh, where are you going to go? The Plaza. And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to go to the Plaza. <laughs> it was just like kind of... It's just kind of cool how she got, like, the upper hand, and then she actually went to the plaza. Uh, And, yeah, they bump into each other there. Basically, what you said, they say to each other, like, she's like, he moved back. And she goes, she threw me out. (laughs) (laughs) And they get rooms right next door to each other, so something's going to happen. And finally, an hour and 13 minutes into this movie, they kiss, and they talk about how wonderful these robes are. The next morning, they're both in the robes, and it's clear that off-screen they compromise each other. But we never see that because this movie is rated PG. Then in the newspaper, they've been spotted out on the town together. And it becomes like this big thing, which leads into the big conflict in the movie. The Rosie Perez divorce hearings, where her lawyer is Richard Jenkins. And Richard Jenkins will return in the next movie, in Trapped in Paradise. Rosie Perez wants all of Cage's money back, and he says that's fine. She also wants back all of Bridget Fonda's money because they've been having this illicit affair. She wants all the $4 million. Otherwise, Bridget Fonda's going to be in a whole world of trouble. Yeah, she has Jenkins as her lawyer, and Nick Cage has red buttons playing his lawyer. So if you uh, if you know anything about him, like you know that like he's going to play a horrible lawyer. You know, he's just not <laughs> a guy with like authority. So like this scene kind of goes back and forth between comedy drama and we get the one moment at the end like you're right like his her lawyers and her attitude is just like so negative that they almost force cage to sort of explode a little bit right and see grabs her arm and she makes him return not only his share but the waitress's share and he's totally fine giving up the money i think that even if he wasn't like in a relationship to whatever extent that actually is if he wasn't in a relationship with the waitress, he would still be fine not having any money because it's not given him anything, right? He's only experienced sort of heartbreak and, you know, negative things happening to him. Like, he loves giving the money away, but he's not handling this fame well. It's when Rosie Perez says that she wants all the waitress's money that Cage just loses his mind. And we have the closest thing to a Cage freakout in this entire movie. Yeah, it's the one time he raises his voice and you see the dark side emerge, you know? <laughs> and I was kind of shocked because the way he's been playing this guy the whole time, you know, when he grabs her arm, and we are dealing with this very light PG film here, when he grabs her arm, like, there's, like, force behind You know what I mean? Like, There's intensity Yeah, there, it's yeah. intense. Like, it stands out in this type of film. They go right up to the line, I suppose, you know? And they never really cross it. Red Button's, like, one piece of advice as a lawyer his one probably good bit of advice it says probably shouldn't see Yvonne for a little bit and then they go to the trial and the one thing I want to get clear about this trial it doesn't feel like it but it's just a divorce trial right is that what this is is this just no it's it's not like a divorce trial it's like I think the lawsuit against 
Bridget Fonda to get the money back. Okay, so it's more like a people's court type situation. I feel like it's like a PG movie trial where everything that has led up to this point is coming to a halt. Like, they're in, like, a huge courtroom. Like, it's not like a... Pe- it is sort of like a people's court in, like, what they're resolving, I guess, but, like, it seems like a sort of a big yeah. devil's advocate style Right, courtroom. it feels like... Yeah, it feels like Miracle on 34th Street, right? Like, the, like it, it just feels, like, super important and very climactic, which was a little strange. I wasn't expecting this to turn into, like, a courtroom procedural toward the end. Another great moment is, like, Red Buttons, like, cross-examines Rosie Perez and gets her to admit that the bir- that their anniversary was on a different day. <laughs> he does this little, like, like fist-pump celebration. He's like, ah, I got her. <laughs> it doesn't matter because, like, Richard Jenkins essentially outlawyers him, oh, right? Yeah. Like, he cross-examines Bridget Fonda, and she says on the stand, you know, under oath in front of all these people... I love him more than anything in the whole world. And we've seen them in a relationship. We've seen them together. We've seen them presumably have sex off screen. But, like, they haven't said that they love each other. And this is her, like, basically saying I love you to him just in front of all these people in the most, like, uncomfortable, sort of awkward public setting. It's great, too, because you know she means it because she's under oath. (laughs) You know, like, I love that little... That was just so adorable to me, is that she's under oath. So, to be honest... She's in love with him. Richard Jenkins is like, oh, but isn't it true that you're married and all that, right? That's how they, that's like the gotcha yeah. moment. It's like, oh, she's like, yeah, I didn't have money to get divorced, and, but it doesn't matter. And, and Muriel ends up winning the trial, right? It's like a really dark verdict, too. They're like, <laughs> we say that Muriel wins. And Bridget Fonda, like, runs out of the courtroom crying, and Cage tries to follow her on the street. Oh, 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 and- you know what moment that is? That's the Cinderella after the ball. She runs oh. down the big staircase, and he goes after her, and she's nowhere to be seen. And so Cage has nothing left. He's lost his girl. His wife has divorced him. He has no money. He goes back to being a cop. He's, like, lost in life. His job is the only anchor that he has. And then I think it's while he's on his beat, or maybe just walking along at night, really with nothing to do and nowhere to go, he sees that Yvonne's diner which is now closed because she has to give all the money back to Muriel, he sees that Yvonne's diner is lit up and that she's in there. And so he walks in and she she's, tells him just to get out, go away. Hello? Is anyone here? Go away. Yvonne. No, you don't want to be with me. What are you talking about? Huh? I love you. No. Oh, don't you get it? I've ruined your life! Are you crazy? These past couple of days, I felt like half of me was missing. You won four million dollars in the lottery. I mean, do you know what an amazing gift that is? And because of me, you have nothing. Because of you, I have you. Why can't you understand that? If you don't want me, that's different. If you don't want me, I'll walk right out that door and you'll never see me again. But please stop talking about the money. It means nothing to me. You want me to go? Never. Yeah, I think it was Bo who was just like, man, maybe you should just like go 
talk to her, right? And he's because he's crashing at Bo's place, and he's like, "Dude, it's like the trial's over. Just go say hi." And he professes his love to her, and they have a little moment to themselves in the diner where they slow dance. But it's not too long when they're by themselves because then Isaac Hayes shows up, Angel, the one from before the the voiceover, the narrator of this whole movie. Earlier in the movie, we find out that Yvonne had created a table at her diner named after Cage's character to let people without money eat there for free, which is like an adorable little gesture. And we see him earlier in the movie eating there. Toward the end of the movie, he sees them in the diner and he knocks on the window and they let him in and she cooks for him and then just sort of lets him be. And the two of them just slow dance like he's not even there. Like they're so in love. Like it doesn't matter money or no money. This is the life that whether they're rich or poor, they're going to move up to upstate to Buffalo. They can be a cop and a diner waitress up there. All they need is each other. As far as he's concerned, he won the lottery when he met her. You know, <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's just all he needs in this life. And then, very unexpected twist <laughs> that, that kind of just made me lose it. This whole time, I'm just imagining that Isaac Hayes, like I said, is sort of this guardian angel, maybe the pulling the strings of fate. I mean, his name, his name is Angel. His name is Angel. He's this mysterious guy who floats through the film, who breaks the fourth wall, is doing the voiceover, basically. Basically, he's like the author, you know, it's it's his world, we're just watching it. It's it's like that it's, Will Ferrell movie with the author who's writing his life, like that's what it reminded yeah, me of. It seems like in every scene that he's in, nobody can see him, he's always just like there like mugging for the camera. And he, the only people that ever interact with him are Cage and Bridget Fonda, like he's just like above and beyond it all. But... Then he takes out like this micro camera, takes some spy pictures of, of them dancing in the diner. And then you sort of smash cut to that picture on the New York Post. The New York Post like headline has been a reoccurring theme throughout the entire movie. Isaac Cates goes on to explain that he is actually a photographer for the Post. All of the front page photos were his. He's <sighs> been following them around the city the whole movie. Movie. And not only is he a photographer, but like he's also writing this article, which explains what a good Samaritan this guy is, and how he <laughs> deserves the city's recognition, and what, what how he's living his life the way he wants to without the money, and it's just wonderful for it. I, I'm just losing my mind. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. And so it's it, we're very near the end of the movie. They've committed to moving up to Buffalo. They go back to her diner, basically just to close up shop, you know, get their last business affairs in order. And they have a hard time opening the door, and there's just like a flood of letters. And it turns out that, I guess this didn't happen in real life, I guess this is just something for the movie. This story that shows how good of a Samaritan these two people are, New York City basically takes up a collection for them and donates $600,000 to them in three days. It's such a happy, uplifting ending that these two people, all they really need is each other, but in, in the end, they do get this windfall of money that lets him go back in the force and lets her rebuy the diner and reopen the diner and both live the life that they want to live. Yeah, they get a $600,000 tip from New York City <laughs> to keep it going. And I just wrote in my notes at this point, such a PG movie. But, yeah. but I loved it. You know, the movie makes no excuses for what it is, you know, very much in the same vein that like uh, some horror movies truly go for it. Like this movie knows its genre. And you're right. It's a total modern fairy tale. Yeah. And the, and the rom-com is just the perfect sort of delivery device for this sort of story. To bring everything full circle 
vehicle and to give us ultimate closure, we find out that Stanley Tucci has to go back to driving a cab. He's broke, and he, that's the only work that he can find. But we find out that Rosie Perez married Jack Gross, and I, or maybe not married, but got together with him, and he stole all of her money and like left the country. And so she's broke and penniless and alone, and it's just this great ending where the two people you hate, the two people who made these characters' lives awful... Both get what's coming to them. Bridget Fonda and Cage, they, they get married, they go up in a hot air balloon, and dump out paper hearts over New York City. I'm going to wager $1,000 and say it's a New York Post-sponsored <laughs> hot air balloon, but I could be wrong. But yeah, it's Cop Weds Waitress. The end, right? What a great ending. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> New York post I think waitress. I think a producer worked for the Post. I don't know. Maybe they needed a little extra advertising money for this film. I really like this movie. I mean, I don't know how many times I'll rewatch it just because it's sort of like how Deadfall is a guilty pleasure because it's so crazy. Like this is a guilty pleasure. Like whenever you're feeling down, whenever you feel like the world is a terrible place, you can watch this and see that the good characters, good people, get exactly what's coming to them, and so do the bad people. Whether you're good or bad, like life will find a way to reward you or penalize you as such. Yeah, and I think the film really captured the point of the story to begin with. The idea that this man was super generous and kept his word and was able to be this good Samaritan in real life, you know, they really captured that theme in this movie, right? Like, they really drove that home and, you know, it made for actually a really enjoyable story. You know, who would have thought the setup would have led to something like this? But, yeah, it's, it's yeah. really nice. Uh, you know, they pulled it off. So now here's a little bit of trivia about the movie. Apparently it was originally going to be called The $2 Million Tip, which I think is like a pretty good, a pretty good title, but I also like the title that they ultimately chose. But did you know that Arnold Schwarzenegger was slated to star in the movie, but chose to star in The Last Action Hero instead. Get out He was going to be the cop? Yeah. He was going to be Nick Cage's? Oh, my goodness. Imagine him married to Rosie Perez. He wouldn't be able to understand oh. anything. <laughs> you need subtitles. Not only that, but Bridget Fonda is the best in this movie. She's super adorable. I don't want to see it any other way. But these two other people that almost played her would have been great fits in terms of Cage Club. One person who turned down the role was Marissa Tomei. So it could have been a little bit of a reunion from Zondali. And the other person who turned down the role of Yvonne was Madonna. Oh. So imagine if Cage did his share thing, he did the rom-com with Cher, he could have done a rom-com with Madonna and knocked out all of the one-name power female singers in history. Was Madonna going to play the Bridget Fonda role? Yeah. I can see her pulling off the Rosie Perez part, but I'm not so sure about her image in the, <laughs> even in the 90s. I don't know if I would have bought her as uh, this such like a PG you know character. She seems a little more R-rated for me <laughs> a little adult yes a little more adult but yeah so that's it could happen to you oh i have um, one sure uh, i actually have two sort of cage club connections cage connections okay so bridget fonda is daughter of peter fonda who mm. was in deadfall i don't believe he had a scene with cage in deadfall but he will have a scene with cage in ghost rider so the other mention i had was when he rollerblades into the lake yeah. i believe that is central park he says uh oh man i could get i could get leprosy oh yeah. i missed that <laughs> yeah 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 time to kill callback with the leprosy that's perfect <laughs> that's that's great so this is sort of the first return to new york city in about seven years or not, maybe not seven years, but a while. Vampire's, I mean, Vampire's, Kiss. Vampire's Kiss and Moonstruck and, of course, SNL not too long ago. But he will return in the law enforcement, fire department, emergency services people in World Trade Center. So maybe this cop 
becomes that cop in World Trade Center. Oh. I don't even know if he's a cop. He oh. might be a firefighter. I was thinking that uh, maybe something tragic might have happened to Bridget Fonda, and he decides to be an EMT, and we get him in Scorsese movie coming up, bringing out the dead. Lots of places for this character to go, I can, <laughs> I can tell you that. Our imaginations love to run wild. Go to cavesclub.me. You can read the reviews that we write for every movie. You can find all the podcasts there. You can follow us on Twitter. You can do all sorts of fun stuff at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. We'll see you next time on Cage Club. Fairy tales can come true. It can happen to you. If you're young at heart. For it's hard you will find to be narrow of mind. If you're young at heart. Can go to extremes with impossible schemes. You can laugh when your dreams fall apart at the seams.